It was a bit of a whirlwind week, but we got to we got to meet with some absolutely amazing people, some some fantastic companies. We went to to see Intel, um, GE Digital, a couple of um, startup accelerators, and then the the visit to the the Stanford D School, but also um, a crash course in design thinking at Google Ventures as well. So. Hi, Right Brainers, Larry Anderson here. In this latest episode of the Right Brain Stories podcast, I interview Gareth Richards, founder of Help With My Visa. Now, the reason why this interview, I think, is important for creatives and innovators alike is because he talks about a creative way of building your business using a method called Agile, which is a way of building it piece by piece, and also using a method called design thinking. So I think you'll find this really interesting. And he talks about the importance of how to build your business, being mentored, and the importance of getting outside views, and also his very interesting visit to Silicon Valley and how generous people were out there to listen to his business ideas. So please do, if you enjoy it, uh, like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and also follow me on um, Spotify. And please do, uh, we really enjoy your feedback. And um, please enjoy this latest episode of Right Brain Stories podcast. Oh, um, so Gareth, uh, thank you for uh, agreeing to be part of the Right Brain Stories podcast and videocast. Uh, thanks for your time. Pleasure, Larry. Thanks. No problem. Um, so do you want to just give us an idea um, about who you are and your background and, and, and how you got to uh, do what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm still tempted to call myself an independent management consultant because that's, that's what I've been doing for the last few years. But I guess now that I've just launched a, a new startup business, I should probably be referring to myself as, as more of a founder, or entrepreneur or CEO, whatever that might be. Mm. Um, so yeah, I've um, got quite a varied experience. Started off in offshore oil and gas. Um, moved through to customer service management, spent about 10 years working in the visas and immigration space, took some time out to do an MBA, and uh, more recently have been involved with um, product management, product development roles, and also a bit of uh, st strategy and, and advisory work for international and, and blue chip companies. Okay, that's good. So yeah, you've got a a background varied like many people um and um and and where where does uh 2020, 2020 find gareth richards what are you what are you doing at the moment it's been a funny old year so far i guess for, for for many people but um i was i was doing a piece of strategy work um for a company in london up until towards the end of january and i'd sort of done as much as what I thought I could, I could actually deliver. There wasn't really a huge amount more value that, um, that that company would get out of what I could give. I'd basically done everything that they'd asked. And I'd been kicking this, this sort of startup idea around in my head for a good couple of years. And I thought, well, you know, 2020, new year, this sounds like a good, this sounds like a good time, a natural time to, to sort of put the management consultancy work to one side and dive head head first into this uh into this startup idea and and give that a go let's see where it takes me three to six months if it works wonderful happy days if it doesn't well i've scratched that itch and uh 
I can move on to, to something else. And here we are sort of what, four, five months later, um, projects going very well, very close to actually launching to the public. Um, but in the meantime, obviously we've had COVID-19 and global lockdowns and our lives as we know it being, being turned upside down. So that has been a particularly um, challenging development because the startup idea that I've, I've been working on, it is travel related. It's a digital marketplace for buying and selling immigration advice services. So if you're looking to apply for a visa for whatever reason, whether that's traveling to a different country or just renewing a, um, you know, a residency permit to stay where you are, you could use this type of service to get help preparing that application. And of course, what's happened since the end of March, particularly here in the UK, um, all of the visa application centers around the world for the UK have closed down. Many of the visa application centers for, for other countries are also closed. And the UK government has sort of automatically extended the uh, validity of residency permits of people already in the UK. So I'm sort of still trying to launch a business for something that people can't actually fully use yet, but I'm not discouraged. I've had enough contact with, um, with people over the last couple of months. I've, I've spoken personally to over a thousand people while we've been in lockdown and the amount of encouragement and support that I've received from people all over the world has been absolutely amazing. So while I think that, uh, you know, this is probably not the type of circumstances I would have personally <laughs> chose to, to launch a travel-related business when, when we can't go anywhere. Um, I'm actually encouraged that, you know, when we do come out the other end of, of this, these lockdowns, um, the business is going to be able to, to generate the kind of value that, uh, that I hoped it would. I mean, you could never have predicted nobody could have predicted this um especially when you were to start a, a business on your own um and and i'm sure that many people will learn lessons through this situation um that they can take forward um and, and we can go into a bit more about those lessons um a bit later i just want to um get your view on and obviously this this podcast is really about creativity and um i'm very keen as i kind of straddle in between that kind of creative world and uh, and the corporate world how um people design their businesses now you know um there are so many um books and 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 um uh, advice and experts that have come out of um the proliferation of startups that have um, come out of Silicon Valley, especially, um, and all over the world. Um, and there are, you know, books about lean startup, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm keen to understand how you've applied that advice and what advice you've taken. Yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot of, a lot of great advice out there. And I think one of the sort of mental models that's really, really helped me through this process is, um, it's a model by David Parrish, who is a creativity consultant, and he sort of lumps creativity into to one of two camps, if you like. You have the artistic creativity, which I think is what most of us would uh, 
would have sort of spring to mind when when we hear the word creativity it's like taking a blank a blank canvas and creating a painting or um, you know, designing a building etc but you also have the the other camp which is ingenuity creativity which is more towards the the, the business side of the spectrum as you as you mentioned in the question mm. and that's very much taking component pieces of what already exists and putting them together in a new configuration that um, that could be considered creative or innovative a new way of creating value for um for, for somebody in your business and i'd say that it's that second approach that very much describes me i'll mm. be i'll be brutally honest there um artistic creativity i'm amazed at uh, at the talent out there people who actually have this 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 ability to create something from nothing but i'm very much more from that school of being able to take individual thing, pieces of something that's out there and then build it together into into a into a new whole it's it's very much a standing on the shoulder of giants type approach um, i don't need to know how to to sort of you know code a digital product to the nth degree but i need to understand that i can take something that's been created by a creative um a developer and how i can actually configure that to to make use of it and to, to to bring value to people so that's that's very much the the approach that i've that i've taken to to creativity and even more so since since i've set up the um the startup business and of course taking on board the advice of uh things like the lean startup and and and, and many others to to try and figure out what uh, what is likely to work, build low fidelity models, prototype, test with real customers, get feedback, and if you have to learn learn how to fail fast, yeah. um, I think that that is that is very much the mantra these days. And once you find something that data supports works, that's when you decide to go all in and start building it out, and uh, you know adding those, uh, those, those, those bells and whistles. So, so that's, that's really helpful. So I'm, what I'm trying to now picture is your decision to start the business and then going into a room and closing a door and saying, okay, what do I do first? Now, you know, all of the, and I think you alluded to this, all of the um, direction really a lot of people take is generally about looking at your audience or looking at your potential customers and then working backwards from there and reverse engineering from there. But sometimes that isn't appropriate or sometimes that isn't the case. What is your, what was your approach and what was your style of approaching this issue? Um, just to give us a flavor, because I think people would approach the same problem in different ways. Mm. No, I think, I, th I think you're right. And there's certainly a lot to be said from, um, approaching it from both ends, approaching it from both the, the customer or the user perspective, but mm. also from the, the ideas and the hypotheses that you have to think, well, I think I can make this work by putting it together like this and creating something that's valuable. And I think there's probably, there's probably two things that for me collided to, to sort of spark that idea. Um, the first was experience. I spent, about 10 years working in 
the visa and immigration space worldwide. Joined a company back in um, 2009, which ran visa application centers. And they had six centers in two different countries when I joined. And when I left just over five years later, that had ballooned, exploded really, to more than 140 centers in, in almost 90 countries. So there was a huge amount of growth over a, a relatively short period of time. And that meant that I was exposed to a number of different parts of that business. So being sent to, to far-flung places to go and set up an office with nothing but a hotel booking and 90 days to welcoming our first customer, to um, running sales teams, to getting to understand customers better, designing digital products, uh, the, the whole gambit of setting up and running, running a business. And I think what, what came out of that was firstly, amazing experience at all of the different functional areas of what's needed to, to actually run a business so that I felt confident I knew what I needed to do in terms of a, a finance um, approach or a legal approach, et cetera, because I'd, I'd done it multiple times. Um, but also talking to customers in, in different parts of the world really sort of solidified for me that there was a problem that people were experiencing everywhere when they were applying for visas. It didn't matter if I was talking to, to a customer, a visa applicant in, in Cairo, in Beijing or Johannesburg, they had the same basic questions that they would ask when they attended their appointment at the visa application center. They wanted to know quite, quite understandably, was my application okay? Am I missing anything? And will I get my visa? Well, the last question nobody could answer. Um, that's that's up to the uh, the caseworker who's uh, who's reviewing the application. But certainly, me in a position of running a visa application centre service, I should know if that document's okay or not, right? Well, sometimes yes, but even if I did, I wasn't actually allowed to say anything. I wasn't allowed allowed to give specific advice to that individual to say this document you've given me um, fits the criteria. All I could do was point them to the website to say there's guidance on the website which had been approved by our government clients. You can check the information there and make your own conclusions. And this just felt, this just felt like something was missing. Now there are individuals and organizations out there called immigration advisors um, or immigration lawyers, depending upon where you are in the world. And these individuals, they provide professional services. They will provide you specific advice. Is that um, application good enough? Does it meet the criteria? This is what you need to do to comply. But what I found was, and talking and talking to immigration advisors and even doing our own research, people don't know where to get this kind of help. Can you believe over 80% of people we surveyed last year said they didn't know where to get trusted help with a, preparing a visa application? So there was certainly a big disconnect there between the kind of help that people wanted applying for a visa and those service providers, those professionals who could actually help. So that was a gap in the market that I'd spotted. And it, it's a gap that I think exists in, in every country around the world. But what really sparked that 
sort of, yes, I can do this moment for me was when I took a year out to do an MBA. And I done it at um, a top London business school where I was able to specialize in strategy and digital technologies. And that's where I came across uh, the concept of a, of a marketplace business model. So this is kind of what uh, the likes of Airbnb, Expedia, even Google use. Um, they have a number of different stakeholders who use their various services and they create value, which is much greater as a whole than the, the individual parts that feed into it. So I thought, well, there must be a way of connecting people who want help applying for a visa using this type of marketplace technology and plugging them into that professional service network that exists around the world and creating more value for everybody. So the individual visa applicant gets the value that they were looking for, the reassurance and the confidence that their visa application is correctly prepared. The immigration professional, they also can grow their business through the marketplace by being connected with more people looking for their services. And hopefully as the sort of focal point of that, of the operator of this marketplace, I can generate a bit of value for, um, for myself as well and, and other stakeholders. So that was really how the idea came, came together. It was that experience and that sort of feedback repeatedly from customers around the world with learning a little bit more about how business models and technology work and thinking, hang on a minute, there must be something here. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. And it's, it's interesting how you've been on the journey you know, a uh, journey of experience, um, but then also the journey of um, joining together your um, uh, academic learnings um, about um, strategy and digital and just figuring out that actually there is a model here to be built. Um, I would imagine that people listening to this or watching this would be thinking a question about regulation and how how you in a highly regulated industry um i would imagine can can um start a marketplace and how that how that would work can you give us any sort of insights yes that, that, that's an incredibly good point and i think we've all seen the kind of hot water that uh, that uber and, and, and even airbnb in places have, mm. have gotten themselves into i think there's a fundamental challenge in that legislation and regulation lags behind technological innovation. Correct. Yeah. And while it is catching up, there's still a lag of years, sometimes even decades between new business models being brought um, to market and, and legislation actually catching up to sort of codify and uh, say what is and isn't um, sort of acceptable types of behaviors. Um, I've been very, very careful with this because of, particularly in the UK, the, the level of regulation around these services and also the kind of data that you could potentially be handling, you know, sensitive personal information. So when designing the, the marketplace, I made well, two very conscious decisions. Firstly, that um, I would only be collecting data that I absolutely needed to um, perform that, that matching service of visa applicant looking for help with immigration advisor who can actually provide that help. And when you actually boil that information down, 
it's not much more than an email address and um, a couple of pieces of um, information such as names. I, I don't need to see documents. I don't need biometric information. I don't need any bank statements or anything like that. All I need is the ability to connect one individual with an organization. And that was a design principle from the very start to make sure that sort of privacy by design, if you like, um, I'm not uh, falling foul of any, any data protection um, legislation that's out there. But also in terms of regulation, um, in the UK, there is um, a government body that regulates the immigration services industry. And I've taken very um, proactive steps to, to engage with that regulator to explain the business model that it's, it's very much a marketing and marketplace business to, to really try and raise the value of, um, of the entire industry, if you like. Um, I'm not providing the services directly myself and I don't intend ever to do that. So that's been my approach to, to making sure that I, that I comply with the law as it currently stands. I think it's very useful to be proactive, to be open and just engage with people. Let them know what you're doing and if there is anything that they see as being any, any way untoward, they will, buy, they will surely let you know. Um, and then you can do something about it before you get in too deep, before you get into a situation like uh, like Uber, um, which uh, came into all sorts of issues in, in, in cities like London. Mm, yeah, and then it becomes politicised and uh, spun in the media, um, and you want to try to avoid those types of uh, situations. Um, so, yes, yes, yeah, because I would imagine that could be, I mean, even when you look back now on what, what you've been through, you could actually probably even write a book now about <laughs> you think you've got a travel rated business in, uh, in the middle of a global pandemic and um, s starting a marketplace related um, uh, business, which people may struggle to understand the concept in some, you know, initially because um, it's new. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I would imagine you can help other people as well, which hopefully, you know, um, anybody listening to this podcast could get some advice and, and guidance. Um, so yeah. we, we, we're talking Sorry, about... Ray, I think just, just, just on that, there's, mm. um, I, 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 absolutely. I think there's, there's a quote which I look at quite, quite frequently, and um, I was fortunate enough to visit the, the Stanford Design School um, mm. a few years back in, in San Francisco. And they've got this whacking great banner um, in, the, in the main hall and you sort of, you can see it from pretty much everywhere. And it says, um, the only way to do it is to do it. And I think that that's really, really powerful advice for anybody who's thinking of, of, of starting not just any creative endeavor, but a, a new business or in the face of adversity, you're not really going to know what happens until you've actually gone ahead and, and, and started. And you might end up doing a pivot. Um, you know, Eric, um, Eric Reese talks about that a lot in the lean startup. Something, yeah, yeah. Your initial idea might not work. Um, so you pivot to something else based on, based on feedback, based on, based on data. But I, I, I really like that quote. And I think that that is, that is something that's gonna stay with me for forever. Um, it's, I think I find it very inspiring and it really gives me the, 
the courage to sort of step out there and sort of say, this is what I want to do. Um, I'd like to engage with you now. This is, this is what I think. Let's have a discussion about it. It's, it's sparking lots of questions in my head because I, I think it's almost like the middle of the Venn diagram for my podcast. So you've got the Right Brain Stories podcast, which is about creativity. Um, and then you've got Digital Culture Change podcast, which is about digital culture change. It feels like innovation is at the middle of that, um, uh, that Venn diagram. And um, I'm thinking now, you mentioned about the Stanford Design School. Do you want to tell us about how that came about, whether that's part of your MBA or just part of, you know, what you, you were trying to um, develop in yourself? Because I think that's a really good kind of um, waypoint on anybody's journey um, and understanding how things are changing in terms of business and business design. Mm. Yes, it was, um, it was part of the MBA program. Uh, we got to choose international electives to, to go and take a week out and, uh, and visit various parts of the world. And I just jumped at the chance as soon as digital transformation in Silicon Valley and San Francisco came up, I thought <laughs> I, I have to sign up to that. And it was a bit of a whirlwind week, but we got to, we got to meet with some absolutely amazing people, some, some fantastic companies. We went to, to see Intel, um, GE Digital, a couple of um, startup accelerators, and then the, the visit to the, the Stanford D School, but also um, a crash course in design thinking at Google Ventures as well. So wow. okay. it, was, um, it was an amazing, um, amazing experience, a bit of a whirlwind, but I think what really came out of that, um, that experience was everybody's can-do attitude there. Everybody, it's not a cliche to say that everybody in San Francisco has a startup idea, right? And yeah. yes, they will tell you about this, but that, that seems to be just the logical way of, of figuring out if this is the right thing to do, if this is where I want to jump in with two feet. You know, it's, it's very good feedback from, from people. If you meet somebody in a bar, and again, this happened frequently over there. What do you do? I'm working on a startup. Okay, tell me about it. And if after 60 seconds, you're glazing over, that person's learned something. They know that they need to go working on their pitch. They know that if they can't get somebody in a bar excited about it, then it's going to be difficult getting, um, you know, investors or, or anybody else to buy into it. So, I think there was just a whole buzz around that, um, that whole experience of going over there that really rubbed off on me. And I would say to anybody who's sort of thinking about taking those first steps, um, do, talk to, do talk to everybody about your idea and you will get good feedback regardless of how it goes. If they glaze over, you know you need to work on your pitch. If you work on your pitch and they still glaze over, maybe it's not for them. So you're learning something more about, about your target market. But if they are interested, well, wow, you, you, know, you, you may have made a customer, an investor even, you know, even a partner. You never know where that conversation might take you. So I would suggest certainly, by all means, go out there, socialize your ideas. You don't have to beat people over the head with it uh, <laughs> every time you meet them, but you, know, you meet somebody for the first time, one of the natural ice-breaking questions is, what do you do? And they've then given you permission for you to spend 60, 90 seconds 
talking about yourself. So use that experience of meeting new people to test your business ideas. You'll get some, some really useful feedback, even if it's not positive. Yeah, I would, I would highly, in terms of developing a pitch, um, I would highly recommend um, A Key Person of Influence by Daniel Priestley. Um, that's a really good book. And I know that uh, there's, he's also got other books like Oversubscribed. I think yeah. the, uh, there's a, um, uh, a podcast by Reid Hoffman called Masters of Scale. And in that, there's a really good episode about um, how to pitch and um, his experiences of listening to lots and lots of pitches um, and the fact that you don't necessarily want somebody to be uh, 100% for your pitch, all your investors or whoever you're talking to. You might want to see people squirming and some people saying yes, some people say no, because then there again in there is a learning opportunity, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's fascinating. You, you mentioned about um, that you kind of alluded to the culture in Silicon Valley. Um, what do you observe about the culture here in the UK or maybe in Europe versus the culture in Silicon Valley? I'm not saying one's better than the other, but what, what are your observations? Um, yeah, I think certainly speaking from experience of the UK compared to, 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 to Silicon Valley, there's, there's quite a stark difference, I think. And I think both are quite useful in Silicon Valley. There's very much that, that sort of can do attitude. Everybody is very, um, they're very motivated to, to, to sort of make things work, happy to hear you out. And, um, you know, generally very supportive, certainly the, 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 the people that I met there, um, in the UK, people tend to be a little bit more cautious about new things. And I think that that's where you get the real value from pitching ideas around um, around Brits or people who've spent a lot of time in the UK is they always want to pick holes in it. They always want to say, well, what about this? What about that? Um, what if I'm in this situation? How, how, do, how do I achieve my, my goals? And if you're not prepared for that, it can be quite disheartening. You're thinking, well, I'm super excited about this idea. I know I've got a lot to cover off, but what do you think about it? I just want some encouragement. But all you're getting back are sometimes quite negative questions. But what I found is that that's actually an amazing opportunity to, again, test your ideas. If you can't answer these questions with somebody who you've met at a conference or, or even a friend or family member, if you can't answer their simple questions, then how are you going to answer your customers' questions? How are you going to answer your, your investors' questions? And when you've actually gone through that process and spent some time with people in the UK, answering their questions, sort of noting down where you might need to take something away and look for more detail, you actually find that you've got a very, very rich experience there. You will have learned a lot um, just from talking to that individual. It might feel a little bit brutal at that beginning. It's certainly not the big hand round the shoulder that you tend to get in, in Silicon Valley. Yes, I think that idea is wonderful. Let's, uh, you know, let's get another <laughs> round in. Um, but I think the two cultures certainly are, they're very different, but they're, they're both very valuable because you've got to be able to validate your, your business idea. But I think you also need 
um, I guess as an entrepreneur, you just, you, you also need your ego stroking at times as well. And just that reassurance, that, that mental reassurance that what you're doing actually has legs and, and, and can scale. There's a, uh, one of the interviews I did on the digital culture change, digital culture change podcast uh, was with Philip Grindel, the online bodyguard. And we talked about tall poppy syndrome and, you know, when you put your head above the parapet and I don't know if it's just a British thing. Um, you, you definitely are there to get shot down. You see it in the media with, you know, sports stars or young, you know, prodigies or something like that. There's always a, a, um, a culture of um, cutting people down. And I think even on a, a scale of me doing the podcasts and um, trying to learn how to put stuff on social media, you'd be surprised that <laughs> some of the people that you know and love or work with um, have a little comment now and then. You have to kind of really have to have a bit of a thick skin, you know, um, in this yeah, country absolutely. at least, yeah. you know. Um, I think one of, one of the people who I've actually been using as a very strong sounding board is my sister. Oh, okay. That's um, a good one. We, you know, kind of typical brother and sister, about the same age growing up, um, never really saw eye to eye, but that's actually been amazing using her as a sounding board because she will tell it like it is. Um, I know sometimes family members can be a little bit over-enthusiastic. I certainly wouldn't ask my mother, but um, <laughs> my sister will definitely tell me um, if what I'm spouting is, is nonsense. So I, I really respect her feedback and opinions and that's, that, that certainly helped. Mm, yeah, that's good. I mean, it's, it's interesting when we, you know, you do have to have some advocates, you know, and, um, and like you say, you've got to judge who's going to give you an honest opinion, but also a constructive opinion, um, which, uh, yeah, if you look at um, social media right now is not necessarily <laughs> constructive feedback is not necessarily uh, people's, uh, modus operandi you know um but uh yeah one of the things i was thinking actually was you having the experience of looking at um uh, you know google ventures and and stanford the design uh, the business design school and um and um you know your mba and, and starting the business what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail and I, I know oh. without, and I, I always, I, I throw in a question like this into the podcast, knowing the people I'm interviewing a little bit, knowing that they probably, you know, they've probably thought about the question beforehand, but I want to, I like to investigate people's mindset and um, you, you know, all the things you've gone through, I would imagine you've thought about that. If you haven't, then I'll take it back. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so, certainly have, certainly have. And I think there's, um, there's probably three things that, um, that I would do if I knew, if I knew I couldn't fail. Right. Um, we're very much bootstrapping at the moment and, um, sort of the technology that I'm, that I'm using to power the marketplace. It's, um, it, it's built on WordPress and WordPress is, uh, you know, powers 34% of the internet. So it's, um, it's very well used and very safe, but it does come with some limitations. And I'm having to make you know, design decisions, business decisions on the basis of what I can actually and can't do with that technology. So probably one of the first things I would like to do is um, you know, pull together a, 
a proper product design team with designers, developers, testers, analysts, and um, sort of build out my own bespoke um, uh, sort of product architecture. Um, I think that 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 gives you then the freedom to to really make it yours and to really craft it to to generate the most value for your um, for your customers. So that's certainly the first thing that I do. The second thing I do is um, I would scale this internationally as quickly as I could. I'm starting off in the UK. I do actually have um, the opportunity to move abroad very soon after we, we go live in the UK, which is great. But I really want to be playing in the biggest markets, the likes of um, the US, India, uh, China, etc. So scaling this business as quickly as I could and uh, you know, making a big splash in those markets, that would also be uh, something I'd, I'd be very happy to put money behind. Um, and thirdly, I think it's just looking at the business model as well. I think one of the, one of the beauties about a marketplace type business model is it's very flexible to bring in more what I call sides to that, uh, that, 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 that business model. I'm starting off um, simple with just two sides. So I've got customers who want to buy immigration advice services and immigration advisors who can provide those services. But there's a lot that I think I could plug into that business model to, to make that sort of ecosystem even richer. Um, and I'm thinking about things like, um, you know, immigration advisors, particularly with the lockdown, um, they're still working and they're providing digital services, virtual services. So they're using the likes of Zoom and other technologies to um, provide that immigration advice service um, over video conference. But securely transferring personal information, that can become more tricky. How about we build out some type of, you know, maybe decentralized um, service for secure service for allowing visa applicants to upload all of their information and then grant access to an immigration advisor to pick that off. I think that that would be a very valuable service. And I also think that immigration advice services can be tailored to specific business needs as well, not just individuals. So some early conversations that I'm having with, with people I knew from the oil and gas industry, they tend to need visas in bulk quickly for countries that are not usually on people's holiday destination list. So <laughs> it can be quite difficult and they want to have the flexibility to be able to say, right, I now need you know, 12 business visas for Angola. I need it in three days. Who can help? They have these kind of questions, which is, sort of pivotal to making their business competitive and successful. So I think that I could work out, work with organizations in that type of industry and others to build out more bespoke services that, um, that create value for their particular industry. So I think those are the three things that I do if I mm. thought I couldn't fail. Certainly build my own technology, make it my own, um, take the service global as quickly as possible, and, and also look at how I can bring on more sites to that business model. There's a lot of follow-up questions here. Um, I think one thing I was going to ask you about the technology, building your own technology platform is around, and I was thinking about this before the interview, is how you are going to use data in order to improve the business and to um, 
into into grow the business actually and do you do you have the flexibility and the um analytics that sit behind what you're doing in order to actually build build something from data um that's a good question i think there's always there's always more that i can do there's mm. always um um sort of services that you can tap into once you're established once you have a little bit more um capital behind you and you can just sort of you're ready to really put your foot down on on on, on growth there's some great um services out there that i've seen i came across a service called dragonfly which is um, part of capita which um, basically follows people's eyes on a heat map type uh in a heat map type manner to to show them where they're actually looking at a, at a website or a poster. Mm. And mm. I think that tapping that type of um, capability will be really crucial to, to sort of validating things like website design, landing page design, even ad design as well. Um, where are people's eyes focusing on? Where are they lingering? What, what's the actual output from, um, from that interaction? Um, at the moment, I'm very much using data such as um, information that's captured through marketing campaigns I'm running through Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Google Analytics. There are also analytics packages that come that come with WordPress. And, you know, other sort of non-digital ways of capturing information such as running focus groups, such as doing um, sort of surveys as well. So there's a lot of data that's coming through, but I'm under no illusion that this is a trickle compared to what it could be. Mm. And mm. I think that that's part of, part of the balancing act with a startup is getting enough data to be able to make informed decisions without having to spend too much time and an investment in acquiring that data. So data at the moment's playing a it's playing a big role in where i'm targeting advertising how much spend i'm putting towards certain campaigns and whether i'm actually tweaking um landing page design form design etc um, i'm sure there's a, a lot more that i will be doing over the next few months once the business goes live and um we start to get a little bit more confident that you know the business model is working the hypotheses that we had at the beginning are being borne out by sort of customers using the service. Mm, mm. I mean, there's, I mean, like you say, when you start to discuss it, there are so many aspects to um, starting and running a small business um, as a startup that um, you um, need to consider. In that case, and we were talking about your using your sister as a sounding board, um, are there other bodies or um, organizations that you tap into in order to have that kind of peer support or, uh, or actual services that you um, get from them? Yes, there's been a couple of other um, sort of peers who I've, I've reached out to, to to sort of sound out ideas. Um, I do know a lot of people within the, the visas and immigration industry, people who've run visa application center services like myself in the past, um, and people who've run um, a quite big, quite large scale um, customer relationship management organizations as well. 
And it's always been very useful to have conversations with them about things like customer journeys, about what they are finding people expect these days. Um, you know, the expectation is that you can go online and complete something in a, you know, two minute uh, walk to the, the sandwich shop on your lunch break. That is a, a very prevalent expectation now among uh, a lot of people. So being able to validate assumptions, being able to sort of tap into their breadths of knowledge has been really, really helpful in, in sort of designing the business model and designing the marketing campaign. But also now that we started to get um, supply chain on board, immigration advisors, that's been absolutely invaluable talking to them about different ways that, um, um, that I could run the business where I've had a question, for example, you know, could I take route A or route B? What would work best for your business and why? That starts to scratch underneath the surface and sort of make you better understand, well, actually route A is better because of these reasons. So I think, you know, there've been a lot of, a lot of people that I've managed to, to talk to in various guises uh, to, to sort of get some peer support. Um, but there's two people who've sort of stepped, um, who, who sort of um, shine out in particularly, who've spent literally hours of their time with me over the last sort of four to six weeks, um, trying to learn more about what I'm doing um, and, and, and really providing with sort of coaching and mentorship as to, well, I've set up partnerships for a very big luxury goods um, organization around the world. This is the benefit of my experience. This is what I found worked. What are you doing? That sort of conversation is absolutely invaluable because you sort of you sort of think you know how a partnership might work, but you're not prepared for all of the kind of questions that you're going to get back when you actually start to to sort of crank the handle on that, you know. Mm -hmm. And being able to talk to people who've been there, done that. Um, who can borrow you their t-shirt um, that's just been immensely helpful in being able to, to sort of know where to focus my time and and where not to mm. I, it's really fascinating you know just how generous people can be you know um, it's really nice and we talked about cynicism before but uh, yeah you can um, people are as good as gold you know mm. and um, I'm I'm, I'm just think on the on the theme of advice i'm thinking about um people who are not necessarily innovators but they are artists you know and artists there is a narrative out there which um i'm not sure is universal about artists struggling to actually make money or be commercially successful or understand what their values are um set up a business to sell their art you know on Etsy, whatever it is, you know, there's some lots of cliches out there. However, in starting up a business, um, what advice would you give to an artist? Because what you are doing is related in a way that you are having to, you know, um, design your business from the ground up. What do you think is um, transferable? to the creative sector or to artists or somebody who's want who's got an itch that is on the right hand side of their brain um and they really want to move forward with it but not play into some of the cliches that uh, um maybe there's no evidence for 
Hmm. Yeah, that's that, that's a great question, and I think I think there's probably three things that I'd I'd suggest, and you know, this is coming from somebody who's sort of set up a business, but it's still it's still sort of pre-launch. So, hmm. um, I would say firstly, talk to people, um, talk to people about your idea, and I think you'll be amazed at how many people have been in similar situations or how many people like, like what I found are willing to sort of spend time with you real quality time working on your idea and guiding you through the steps that you need to cover off to make that a reality. I think the more people that you talk to, um, the better. And I found out some, some amazing things that I never knew when I was doing my initial outreach, um, I contacted more than a thousand people um, in, a, in a couple of weeks, uh, mainly on social media because of lockdown. But finding out that people now work within the immigration advice industry that I'm trying to tap into, or people's mothers or, or, or next door neighbors do, I would never have known that unless I st hadn't started a conversation. So I would absolutely say first and foremost, go start talking to people, Tell people about your idea. Um, you will come across some absolute gems of people who will be willing to, to spend time with you. I think secondly as well, there's, there's research that you can do yourself. And I've made a huge amount of use of this, trying to tap my creative side. <laughs> um, Google is amazing. YouTube, phenomenal. And you know, even just typing in sort of queries, you know, sort of how do I do X, Y, Z using this program, you're bound to get pages and pages of videos showing you exactly how to do that step by step. Now, some are better than others, but after spending half an hour or so picking through them, I kind of understand what it is I should be doing given my situation. And I would say the same thing for a creative. There are lots of business resources online. It doesn't have to be scary. Um, just Google it, find out, make a list of the kind of things that you think you're going to need. You're obviously going to need banking. You might need legal support. You might need marketing. You might need HR, etc. Um, just run some Google queries on these, uh, on these topics and pick through the information that's, that's published online. You'll start to build up a picture over time of what's going to work for you and where you still have gaps, where you still have questions. And I think the third thing is building on that. If you're really serious, um, spend some time looking at um, actual courses that can take you through the process of starting a business step by step. Um, and courses are available. A lot of free courses are available these days. E-learning is just massive, even more so, I think, now that um, we've, we've had sort of lockdown around the world. Um, you can get courses from Harvard Business School online for free um, on many, many subjects. So I would certainly suggest looking there. But there are also paid courses as well. I really wanted to learn more about digital marketing. So I paid $1,000 and joined a digital marketing course run by Columbia Business School. And that course was just amazing. It went through everything that I need to know about digital marketing, the do's, the do nots, gives you examples to work through and um, even access to resources to, to run your own digital marketing campaigns within a sort of a sandbox type uh, environment. So you get real hands-on experience. 
So there's a lot of things that I think you can do um, to sort of basically build your confidence in and, and getting to know how to get started, how to get orientated. It is a big elephant to eat, if you like, um, setting up a business. But the only way you eat that elephant is, is one bite at a time. So making a list of the kind of things where you think your knowledge is lacking and starting off Google searching and picking your way through the resources that are available there, talking to people about the kind of challenges that you think you're facing and you know, paying for courses if you need to. I think that that's probably the way that certainly worked best for me is, is, is a combination of those three things. And I think if I can do that, um, to develop a more creative side than, you know, a creative coming the other way for business. Um, I think they'll have no problem doing that. That's a really good point. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that I, I, my recommendation for people is to, yeah, like you say, research and read. And I think um, one of the things is the business model. So if people have a look at um, the business model canvas, mm. they can, and it kind of relates to the fact that you started a different type of model, which is a marketplace. Um, I think the book, I don't know if I can pronounce his name, Alex Oster, Oster, Osterweiler. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll um, put it in notes, but uh, that's a really good, you can look it up online, um, the business model canvas. It's a really good way of thinking about your, um, your business as a creative uh, or anybody really because you don't have to be just making something and selling it you know um, there's there's a there's a place for a middleman there's a place for there's there's all sorts of ways around you could think about it and um, and I think also the Daniel Priestley books are really helpful as well um, mm -hmm. key person of influence oversubscribed and um, um, that's one about assets as well so I think that's what my recommendation would be. And, you know, be patient. Don't, you know, you don't have to do everything in one year. You know, it, it could be, you know, it could be, could take 20 years, but if you've got an, an itch that needs to be scratched and, and uh, the thing about entrepreneurs is that they often get chosen by investors because of who they are as a personality um, and a person that they like, because like you say, the business, business might change they might pivot to something else but mm. do they want to work with that person you know and um i think i think it's a really interesting time you know and um you know really um appreciate your insight there gareth and um you know uh, the, the whole the link with that whole design school um um aspect is really interesting so i just wondered whether just to as we start to round up whether you can give an idea about design thinking because i think that's something that people can relate to design is a word that people can relate to especially in the creative sector can you give us an idea about design thinking and how that has helped you um that might help other people hmm. yeah i think um design thinking was was an absolute revelation when i when i came across it and i think if it's facilitated excuse me correctly um you will you will have probably the most fun you have ever had um designing something and, and sort of taking on a, a wicked problem right mm. um i think you know when you when you're approaching sort of design thinking one of the one of the biggest takeaways for me was um it doesn't have to be a high fidelity fully working or singing or dancing um prototype to get useful feedback 
um, as you mentioned, is very much about the person and it's very much about um, the concept, the idea. So does this idea have, uh, you know, does it have legs? Is it, uh, is it something I could get excited about? And I think when you go through the design thinking process um, within a group setting, you will certainly see whether that, uh, you know, your, your ideas are going to have legs or not from the actual process itself. I think you'll be very surprised if at the end of the process, if you're not excited about something, somebody um, who you're demonstrating to is excited. I think that you really need to, to use that process to get um, enthused about what it is that you're doing, the problem you're trying to solve, the value you're trying to bring to um, to your customers. And I mean, we done a, we was involved in a very, um, a very useful experiment in, in design thinking when I was over in Silicon Valley. And we ended up creating a, a very low fidelity virtual reality tour of, uh, of an island. And the idea was to solve a, a problem that a hotel was having in that they had a concierge who was brilliant, knew everything there was to know about an island, but he spent too much time talking to customers, going through options, and customers were getting a little bit irate that they had to wait so long. So the idea that we came up with through a process of, of design thinking was, how about we create virtual reality um, models of the best places of the island so that people can just pop on some goggles, see what they think, and then talk to the concierge if they need more information, or if not, just book, a, book, a, book a, um, a trip there and then. And when you hear sort of virtual reality and islands and, you know, travel, you start to think, well, how on earth would you possibly create a prototype that somebody could get enthused about? That must take ages. It must take a lot of skill and a lot of, a lot of money. Well, with two Costa coffee cups, a few pipe cleaners and a piece of paper with uh, icons scribbled on it, um, myself and a, and, a, and a colleague managed to act this scenario out and um, it went down like a storm. Everybody loved it. They got the idea. They thought, yep, this looks cool. I see how it works. I get the value. That's something I'd like to, to sort of spend a little bit more time and money um, investing in to see if we can, we can bring it alive. So I think don't be scared of how low fidelity your idea, your initial idea might be. If you can get enthused about it and if you can sell it to somebody and they get it, I think you're already halfway there with the battle. Interesting. I'll have to get the post-it notes out tomorrow for my wife <laughs> and <laughs> Saturday afternoon activities. Um, so uh, yeah, thanks Gareth. We're going to have to round up. Um, but um, do you have any, um, if you took that, we've got an audience, hopefully have an audience. Um, what, what, would you like to ask the audience any particular asks or any advice final parting advice well we are um still pre-launch with um with our startup and we are sort of happy to engage with and uh connect with as many people as we possibly can so if you are interested um in the business and, and finding out more about what we're doing we do have a mailing list it's available at helpwithmyvisa.com and um, you can sort of leave your email address and name there and I'll be sending out emails every couple of weeks just uh, letting you know how we're doing and giving you some insight, advice on traveling and uh, 
sort of getting the most out of your time, even when we're doing um, still still in lockdown. So I'd certainly say if anybody's interested in that, please do sign up. Um, and secondly, I think that really just go out and talk to people if you have an idea. Um, the feedback that you'll get from these conversations is absolutely invaluable and it'll help you start to scratch that itch that you might have um, if you're thinking about setting up a business or you have a, you have a business idea. Talk to people about it. If they glaze over within 60 seconds, you know, it might be the pitch or it might be the idea. But if you fix the pitch and they still glaze over, it's the idea. So you can then make peace with yourself and either move on or, or sort of pivot and try and um, try and refine the idea. But again, just going back to what, what that banner says in the Stanford Design School, the only way to do it is to do it. So go out, talk to people, build prototypes, test it out and, and have fun. Um, everything will fall into place. That's really helpful, Gareth. And I appreciate your time, uh, Gareth Richards. And um, yeah, I, I feel like there's a, I think there's a follow up there to kind of uh, find out how things are getting on with uh, with help my with my visa. And um, yeah, it was really really interesting. I had lots of other notes down here, but uh, we're out of time, so I feel like part two is going to be on the agenda. Thank It'll you. It'll be a pleasure. Thanks, Larry. Thanks. Take care.